Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the continuing tech wreck. How bad is it going to get? We'll debate the best place for your money today with our investment committee with me as always and joining me for the hour today are Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, John Nigerian, Surat Sethi, and we do begin at the wall where we always do. Nasdaq's in the midst of its worst three-day stretch since early March. Did get a decent bounce between 10 and 10.30 this morning, but as Carl was saying, some headlines in the last few minutes have taken the major averages back lower. Dow's down about 500. NASDAQ is off almost 3%. So, Josh Brown, we look at this now and we say, how bad is it going to get? What do you think? I honestly don't think it's that bad. Look, you, you, have, you have plenty of tech stocks up today that, that are in the green. So I, I, I guess I don't see it as quite a tech wreck. I feel like we've seen actual tech wrecks this year, last year. This is pretty mild. These are stocks that are up 100% or more, give or take, from March, giving back like 12%, 8% in some cases. So uh, I'm just not, I'm not with you on the premise. Uh, these stocks are off their highs, but they've been making new highs okay. relentlessly so, for months. So, okay, so, so good point. Let me come back at you, though, and say, well, what about the premise being, as, as you say, well, OK, stocks were up 100 percent or whatever they were since March. But was it normal that they were yeah. up 100 percent or whatever since March? Because they were up on what was really multiple expansion. So if they were up on all of that and now some of the air is coming out of it, doesn't that say that they potentially have a lot more room to fall? Well, so I think it's tough. Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's tough to generalize. Some of them have more air uh, it's come out of them than others, and some of them will continue to report outstanding fundamentals without playing any games and, and see even higher levels than what they're seeing today. So I think in, in many situations, we have to think about this on a case-by-case basis. Uh, I think the real interesting question is whether or not this spreads to the rest of the market and we have an S&P 500-wide correction, um, which I don't think would be the worst thing on earth, to be down 10%. Uh, from a record high after going up 50%. Like, I, I just, I don't think it's that bad. So if that's what ends up happening, I think that's the most interesting question. We don't know yet, of course, um, but I would, I would keep my eye out for that possibility. Um, but I do know a lot of people who, who would make the case, that's what we need uh, to move higher. We need some of the excess speculative fervor to come out. We need some of those surveys to calm down a little bit, some of those investor polls. Maybe we need a little bit of the Robin Hood activity to chill out, and that could set the stage um, for a better fundamental advance for the whole market, not just uh, consumer discretionary and tech. So I- I'm okay with that outcome if that's what happens. <clears throat> Steph, where do we go from here? I mean, how, how bad do you think it gets from a, from a tech standpoint? Does it, does it spread into the broader market, as Josh was, was potentially talking about here? What do you think? 
Well, look, September is always so volatile, right? And now especially so because of what you just said, that these stocks are up 100, 200, 300 percent from the March lows. I would take issue, though, it's not just all multiple expansion, Scott. Numbers went higher after Apple reported, after NVIDIA reported, after AMD reported, after Amazon reported. Certainly there were some companies that had pure multiple expansion, but these companies and others did see earnings higher after they reported. And that, to me, is encouraging. And look, I... I totally agree with 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 Josh and, and with what you were just saying that they were up a lot. They're not down enough, right? I mean, Apple's only off fifteen percent after it gained one hundred and thirty-two percent from the March lows, right? right? Nvidia is only off thirteen percent, etc. You get my point. My, but, but is your my point, point uh, is, is your point? That, I mean, you just said they're not down enough. I mean, are you building a case right. for these stocks needing to come in a, a lot more than they are by virtue of how much they ran up on I, the other I, side? Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I think you could see down 20, 25% in many of these names. But here's the names that I want to be buying onto that dip. I want to be buying Apple or adding to it. It's already a very large position for me because I do believe in the wearables growth and market. Amazon, we know about retail e-commerce, same deal. If that stock... I actually sold some of that stock about 50 points ago. So if that stock were to pull back, absolutely, I would add. Salesforce, I think SaaS Cloud and the total addressable market of a trillion dollars by the end of the decade is the most compelling to me. And they just put up a monster quarter. And I know the stock rallied, but it's now given back 15%. So I do think that you have to keep an eye on some of these names. And to your point, if it broadens out to the bigger market, well, okay, maybe it does. And you know what? We've had a nice run from the lows. I would still um, advocate for a barbell approach. Secular growth technology, cyclical. Cyclicals because the economy is gradually recovering, including jobs last week, which I thought at least it's on the right path of, of seeing improvement. Still a ways to go, but the economy, there are certain pockets in the economy that are seeing a V recovery, and I want to have cyclical exposure because of that. So barbell. All right. So, John, which tech stocks, let's say if we have that whole basket of tech, which are the ones that are most at risk? Is it the fangs, which had gains, as you know, Step was saying? Apple up 134% from the low. Microsoft 70%. Alphabet 85. Amazon 63. Facebook 104. Are those the ones that are most at risk? Or are we talking about the Shopify's and the Twilio's and the Wayfair's and the Zscaler's, the Cloudflare's, ones that are really getting hit over the last few days or so, and the ones that were really up? We're talking one, two, three hundred percent, if not more. Yeah, the latter, Scott, just as you said, uh, it is, um, you know, the, the, the Spotify's, it is uh, the Zoom video, um, it is, uh, you know, and I have owned many of these stocks um, on that run up. Um, and I think those stocks are much more likely to give it back and much less likely to see Stephanie Link or to see um, Surat City stepping in there and buying those names. I think just as Stephanie said, her own words, you know, she's looking to buy some Apple and some of these others that do have, that did justify uh, with their last earnings announcement, Scott. So the others, um, many of those others, those moves were a little too extreme. Um, we never knew when it would end. Um, and apparently, you know, from some of these reports, it ends with this uh, fizzle uh, over at SoftBank, and I have lots to say about that, but I'll hold off no, you, and say you don't that have to I hold think off. it's... You, you don't have to hold off on that, because okay. I, I wanted to even ask you and, and go there. If, if we think that, okay. and, and I don't know how to quantify it, but if we, if we think that a 
fairly substantial part, a meaningful part of the run-up was due to this call-buying activity in SoftBank and then their counterparties having to buy the underlying stocks to hedge that risk. If we think that that had a meaningful role to play in all of this and that unwinds and to the degree it does, we just don't know, doesn't that suggest that you could have an air pocket going down to some degree? Um, And I think we saw that over the last couple of days. But, Scott, uh, one of the key things when you were out last week when this story first broke on Friday, I believe, um, was that people said it was SoftBank that was purchasing these uh, particular derivatives. And they called it a gamma gambit. And indeed, that's what it would be. They're throwing a turbo onto those particular stocks. And notice, I didn't say Spotify. I didn't say Zscaler or any of those others. They had specific bets, allegedly, um, in Amazon, Microsoft, in most of the FANG names. So that boost provided, and as you say, many of those people had to hedge that exposure because they get shorter and shorter from selling those calls. They get shorter and shorter as the market runs up. So it's a similar sort of thing that we've seen from this trader that we call 50 Cent in the VIX. When you see that thing start to move, people need to actively, dynamically hedge, and they can't always do that. So what I would point out, Scott, is it could be those people that were doing the hedging that were probably having to buy stock aggressively to basically cover their exposure to those derivatives that they sold, some of which may have been over-the-counter derivatives. In fact, a lot of them could have been over-the-counter derivatives. When they're doing that, those could be the folks that were getting flushed to the downside because you lose a lot faster on stocks to the downside than you do on options because obviously you buy a $2.50 option in Microsoft, for instance, two months ago, Scott, and that starts running to the upside, Microsoft does, and you have to keep hedging to protect yourself against that run. Well, when the thing turns around like it did on Thursday last week dramatically, again Friday and today, the third day, of this sell-off, many of the folks that are getting clocked could be those same people who are getting clocked on the way up and they were scrambling to buy that protection. Many times in my career I've seen exactly that play out where those folks that then have to flush, have to sell those stocks as they're going down so quickly. That would seem to play out to more of what we're seeing right now, much more than that gamma gambit of buying upside calls and just doing it over and over and over again since March, which allegedly SoftBank had been doing literally on a weekly, if not monthly basis. So what what then, Surat, does it mean for for where we may go from here and why? So I think, Scott, uh, some of the points about the large cap mega, the fangs, when they come back to reasonable valuation, the Amazons, the Googles, uh, and I say reasonable, down another 10, 15%, I think they've become attractive for, for us long-term investors, especially if you've got new capital on the side. Uh, this is actually, I agree with Josh, that, that this is, you know, we need this. We, we were going up too fast. The market was up over 50%. The, the tech stocks were up over 100%. And again, you know, if one could know how much down we go, that'd be much better, but we don't. And I think when that happens, and as long as the whole market does not go into what bear market territory, but we get a 10% correction, I think it's really good for the market, especially given the uncertainty coming ahead, and then we can get some more opportunities to deploy new capital. Well, part of the problem I have, though, Surat, is a lot of people didn't have any problem 
when we were on the way up. They didn't have a problem in the way that we were going up. Analysts just, you know, as their price targets got blown through, what did they do? They just raised their price targets. And people weren't coming out of the woodwork suggesting that the market needs a correction. I mean, look, Joe Terranova made what sounds like to me to be a pretty good and well-timed call um, maybe a week or so ago when he suggested stocks could have a 10% correction and he wasn't adding any new positions. But that felt to me like it was in the minority of views that there weren't a lot of alarm bells going off in a lot of places as the stock market continued to go up, were there? Uh, no, but I, I was in Joe's camp in the last month, actually. I, would, I was not adding new capital to clients. I was actually trimming and waiting for an opportunity, especially with clients that were fully invested, because it did look like we were fairly valued, if not overvalued, on, on a lot of the parts of the market. So I do think there were people out there, maybe in the minority, as you said, but this will give you an opportunity to buy some really high-quality companies. And I'm still in the barbell strategy. I mean, we've got the COVID stocks and the post-COVID stocks, and I think you know it, it's, we're getting closer to that point. I don't know <laughs> when it's going to happen, but but cyclicals uh, and the industrials and financials are some areas that I think you know one can add capital to because eventually money will flow to those areas, and and not and you should still stay in the fangs. I, I like them. I just don't like them in the proportion that they are in the S&P. What, what about the, the Robin Hood phenomenon, Josh? Um, you know, you're, you're well versed on all that, right? Robin Hood goes from 4 million users invested in the S&P before the pandemic to 12 million in May. So if there are other things now that maybe take some of the attention away from the typical Robin Hood investor, whoever that may be, or if they look at the market now and suggest that it is a good time to take some profits, even if they would have gotten hammered a bit in the tech names over the last three days. What's the role play there? So first, I think that's who's getting smoked um, right now because it's the prototypical Robinhood stock that is getting hit much harder than anything else in the market. And that is because um, the SoftBank thing is very, very small. What's really happening is retail call buying has been explosive since March it built into April, it built into June. $40 billion a month at last call was how many upside contracts Robinhood traders were buying in small amounts, but in large numbers of people uh, and on large numbers of, of mostly technology stocks. Um, and, and that is really a much bigger story than anything the, uh, the, the, the NASDAQ whale or, or whatever. And we know that because a lot of what's happening is happening in weekly options trades, as John would tell you. And a lot of that is happening in uh, contracts that are expiring in a, in a week or two. That is not what um, SoftBank is alleged to have done. SoftBank is alleged to have been doing uh, the types of trades that are looking out to next month, the month after. And they're opening call spreads, which really doesn't require quite as much hedging um, because the, of the nature of that setup. Um, it's not quite the same as the Robin Hood folks saying, oh, Tesla reports earnings in two days. Let me get long uh, some options here. But, but, but uh, that's that expire, worrisome, right? You know, a you're, week later. You're, you're making the case of why yes. it's Listen, I was on the show, Scott, Scott. Yes, I was on the show screaming about stock splits and how that is the wrong reason to be buying stock and the worst. You and I debated yes, you this. Were. The worst possible catalyst for new highs was this stock split mania. All of the gains from before they announced these stock splits in Apple and Tesla that juiced the price, all of those gains are being washed out right now. Um, and people that bought after the split announcement and leading up to it are absolutely destroyed. Destroyed. So 
That is what should happen. This is how you learn. I did those stupid trades when I was 22. This is how you <coughs> learn how the market works. And unfortunately, it's the only way. I could tell you five books to read, but if you're a kid that just made 300% on your money uh, on an app over the last two months, you're not going to read any book. You think you're George Soros. So I understand that. I've been there. And, uh, and, and this won't be the last generation to learn this lesson the hard way. But here's the good news. Um, we're getting close to, you know, I think, the end of this washout in some of the bigger tech stocks. Uh, a lot of the boxes are starting to be checked. While I was getting ready for the show, I saw David Rosenberg was on the air. That's an important step. Maybe you guys will do a markets in turmoil later this week. That will help. And then by the time Druckenmiller is on Squawk Box, um, that's when you'll want to say, okay, too much market cap lost in Apple. I'm pulling the trigger long. So let that process play out. It's typically rewarding. Steph, are, are there things that have come down too much that even, the, you know, the large caps, not, not the, the Spotify's and, and some of those other names as Josh references as well, but, you know, the, the FANG names, right? If you still believe in the, in, yeah. the, in the reasons why they were up in the first place at, at you know, in balance, why wouldn't you buy some in this moment of extreme pullback if you think that's the end of it? I mean, NASDAQ down about 10% or so or got close to it from the... Uh, from the highs. It's hard to time, Scott, and, and I think you pick your spots. Jim Cramer used to make me make a list every morning and have a price of where I would actually buy a stock. If it fell 5%, if it fell 10%, what was the level? He would ask me every single day, what is the level that you're buying a stock at that, that you really have confidence in? And so I still do that, actually. And it's actually been very helpful because I can't time it, but you can average cost into it, especially, again, if you believe in the total addressable market story. So that's why I mentioned those names before. But I will say this. Last week, I did sell a few things, and I did buy a few things. So I sold PayPal, but I, I bought uh, NXPI, um, and I bought Broadcom, more of Broadcom. I had not owned NXPI. I had NXPI is actually down 4% on the year. And it actually, if you believe that they can do $9 in earnings power, it's trading at 14 times forward. And, it's, um, and it really hasn't done anything. It's lagged in a major way. And again, it's auto exposure. And, and, I, and I like the auto exposure. Broadcom had a, an absolute blowout quarter, beat and raise. And they're talking about 50% wireless growth. And the stock is only up uh, about 10%, uh, 15% on the year. Stock actually trades at a very real, realistic and reasonable valuation. So those two names I actually bought um, in the sale of PayPal. I actually sold Home Depot. Um, I bought McDonald's because these stocks have actually been the laggards. And I feel more comfortable with the earnings power and that we, where we are right now for those companies, you're kind of at the trough in earnings. And then as you see a recovery, they should really see operating leverage. But these other names I'm holding, I'm not selling. Um, I do believe in, as I said, my, probably my favorite of all the FANG, and I kind of put in cloud names in there as well with salesforce.com because they just absolutely blew it away again on the quarter. Numbers are going higher. It's not just multiple expansion. And I still think that stock gets, is underappreciated. Really good management team, great free cash flow awesome margins too. So yeah, that's a name that I would also put on the list, but not just yet. They're only down you know, eight to 10, 15%. Well, that's the thing, Surat, you know, Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley, frequent guest, somebody we like hearing from says he they, thinks there's more downside over the next month, but that it eventually leads to further broadening out of the bull market. Goldman today, 10 reasons why the bull market has further to run. There are, you know, I'm not going to list you all the reasons, but there is the idea obviously of a vaccine out there, right? You're going to get a vaccine right. at some point. Um, Ed Yardini, yeah. correction would be healthy. Um, you know, that's the same story that we've been hearing from others um, as well. So what do you make of that as you think about where we could go? 
So I, I do agree with that. I mean, you know, when we were on the show six months ago and or five months ago, we were talking about, well, how far is the vaccine? We're not even in any trials. We are getting closer and closer, and I think the market starts discounting it faster and faster. And to Stephanie's point, you've got trough earnings in a lot of these companies, and if you can see a little bit of clarity that maybe earnings start improving second, third quarter of next year, it is the future cash flow of a lot of these companies. So I think these, uh, you know, they, they are all on point in the sense that, look, you, you do need to be in some of these areas where earnings have really been lackluster, and, and they have all been hit hard, the cyclicals, the industrials, uh, companies that, that are very kind of been hit by COVID. So it, it does make sense to start getting out there. The question is, when do you do it? And, and I think, you know, starting when you get a 10% correction uh, is normal, it's healthy, and you can start putting money back into the market at that point. John, wh- how much is Tesla? Hey, ju- hey, ju- hey Judge, yeah, real yeah, quick, yeah. Yeah, go real ahead. quick, you know, what looks wor- you know what looks worse than tech? Energy today. So these cyclicals that everyone's talking destroyed. Look how bad the banks look. The XLF is off two and a quarter percent. It's as bad as tech. So it's not a tech wreck. And look what's working. The ITB, home builders, you know why? The Mortgage Bankers Association came out this morning and told us that between April and June, the second quarter, $1.1 trillion worth of both new mortgages and refinancings. A trillion one in mortgage activity in three months. It's no surprise why the ITB is up. So I, I feel like what's really getting hit right now away from tech is even more notable. Well, the, okay, These so that's a good stocks, point. cyclical stocks. That's a good point, okay? Killed. Because it's, a, it's potentially a much bigger story if, if it becomes other than tech getting hit. The whole narrative has been based on, well, if money comes out of tech... It should and has to go into the cyclical space because we're getting closer to a vaccine. Nope. The economy's doing okay. And as Josh just said, John Nigerian, ain't happening. So that's a problem for the overall market. If the market's coming out of the highest flyers and it's not going in to that space that people thought there'd be a rotation into. Well, uh, and Scott, that could be the case um, to see people committing capital into a holiday weekend or on the day after that same holiday weekend would be one of the first times ever that I would have seen that, Scott. In other words, um, the trillions of dollars that we cite from time to time that are on the sidelines. It was $2.8 trillion um, in February, Scott, at the market highs back then. And then as we sold off and then rallied back, now it's $4.6 trillion um, in cash. To see some of that start to roll back into the markets won't surprise any of the four of us i don't think but to see that committed on thursday friday into this holiday weekend or today i would say would be a you know a fantasy to see it starting to come in after this three-day sell-off which has now carried many of those stocks as you've accurately said to 10 percent 15 percent correction or more I think that is where you want to go shopping. Um, but I think most of that, Scott, comes Tuesday, um, uh, rather Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. Friday, rather than the Tuesday right after. That. Well, I, I just wonder also, and, and I was going to steer the conversation this way towards the, the Tesla conversation. Mike Santoli has been looking into sort of what's going on with Tesla and how the S&P has judged it, not putting it into the 500, and whether it's a moment of this, you know, sort of, don't believe the hype. The S&P, Mike, didn't believe the hype, apparently, about this incredible run that Tesla's had. 
and, and what that says perhaps about way in, the way investors need to view the market in their own right. Yeah, I mean, Scott, first of all, we have to say the S&P doesn't tell us why it did not sure. uh, admit a company into, into the index. But we can surmise because when you have a $450 billion market cap company, as Tesla was near the highs, it's an affirmative decision not to place it in the index when it already has shown those four quarters uh, consecutively of positive earnings. And it would seem as if uh, the S&P committee was in the position a lot of investors were, which is, do I defer to the market's momentum here and its implicit judgment that these companies are for real and they're going to own the future in a huge way? Or do we feel like it's a little bit overheated and maybe not in the short term worth unsettling the rest of the index? Uh, because that's what would be required probably to place it in there as one of the top dozen stocks. Um, also, take a look at what's happened to Tesla since it did that $5 billion share offering. We know it got completed in three days last week. $5 billion over those three days is less than 5% of the dollar volume traded in that stock. And yet still, hey, maybe coincidence, but probably not, it was also the top in the stock. So clearly, if the, if the stock can go down as much as it has on a non-inclusion in the index and on a relatively incremental equity offering, while good for the company's books, uh, books itself, maybe it does tell you that in the very short term, super overextended. I just think it's an exaggerated version of what happened with a lot of mega cap tech, which is, Kind of an overshoot, which, by the way, dates right to August 11th, which is the day that, that Tesla announced a split. The Nasdaq 100 is not back down to the level of August 11th. Tesla shares aren't back down to that level yet. So essentially, we've just had this mean reversion move to the downside after we had this upside kind of overshoot. I don't think you can necessarily say much more is going on there. But uh, when it comes to Tesla, I do think that maybe S&P saying we can wait it out this time, see if the fever breaks. And let's see if this is a genuine, you know, profitable business model on a forward going basis as opposed to just this fourth quarter window. Yeah. And Steph, you know, you take what Mike said, and I just wonder how you process all of that and the way you think about other parts of the market, if not other names that have had similar run ups like Tesla did. I mean, I. I just never understood Tesla and the move that it made, and it's still up 370% from the March lows. And it's down a quick 28% from its highs. So that's the volatility. That's the game. If you're going to get into this name, you got to be prepared for because there's no way you can value this thing. I've looked at it in many different ways. Is it a battery company? Is it a car company? EV company? Right. All ESG only. But let and, me say and this. You know what? You ju I just couldn't get my let me, let apologize. Get my let, me, let me apologize for interrupting you, but to say that. This isn't even a Tesla-specific story, perhaps. It's, it's yeah. not about the, the company or the stock itself. Maybe it's just emblematic yeah. of the it, way certain stocks were being judged by certain groups of people and the way that it, it, sure. it ran up. I mean, obviously, it's partly a, a, a Tesla thing, but not a debate on whether you, know, you should get into Tesla today or well, not, this, that, and the other thing. Let, so. let me just jump in on that, yeah. Scott. Okay. Well, it is it's, Tesla. It's a momentum. It's a momentum. The, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's earnings quality. They, 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 the first half of this year, they did $782 million in revenues from selling regulatory credits, the majority of which are for cars they haven't even delivered yet. Those, those, when they sell a regulatory credit, it's almost 100% profit. So people did get this right. Uh, Nicholas Colas at, uh, at Datatrek said that it's not a shoo-in for inclusion because of earnings quality. It's not about the momentum no, of the stock No, but the whole point price. is, though, Steph, I, I think the committee, 
I think it is momentum. I think it, I think it is all about the factor that, that of momentum. I absolutely believe it. And I think Zoom got carried away in there too. Now I can actually, and even Apple and Fang and, and tech in general, it was the momentum crowd. And then it's the quants and then it's the Robin Hoods and it's a pile But we're talking on. about absolutely. index inclusion. But there are we're some talking names, about index, in, but index some inclusion. Names, but there are some names that you can justify because of the fundamentals. My point is you cannot justify this valuation in any way, shape or form. And it is all about what factor is working in the market marketplace at this point in time. And up until a week ago, it was the growth momentum factor, and that was what, where this got caught up in. It doesn't matter if it's in the S&P 500 or not. It's just everyone wanted to look at, okay, where, is st- where are stocks going higher? Looking at the charts, because they're certainly not looking at the fundamentals if they're looking at Tesla. Right. I, can ga- I can absolutely list you 10 different names that do have good fundamentals that are also extended, but those are the ones I want to buy on a pullback. And, and Josh, m- m- I think, I think um, Steph is onto something. It's not necessarily about index inclusion. It's about, Mike Santoli, perhaps the reasons why it wasn't yeah. included. That's what this all comes and down by the to. Way, Steph is saying if there are question other was about Teslas, inclusion. so to speak. Yeah. Well, I, I think Tesla is, is honestly almost its own species in terms of the magnitude uh, of how much market value has been added. And also, who knows, maybe about, you know, the head start that it has in this huge part of the economy. I'm not willing to, to say yes or no on that. But the fact that the prospect of, S, of Tesla going into the S&P was even on the list of bullish factors for anybody buying the stock is absurd. <laughs> Stocks go in all the time, and it's a fleeting effect at best. And the fact that, it, that, that if Tesla was put in on Friday, everyone would say, that's the top right there. You know, it's a sell the news event because now it's just a mainstream, basic old blue chip stock. I mean, it was always a silly thing, and it showed you that people were reaching for any other reason to own it. Um, now, when it comes to the rest of FANG, these are high free cash flow generating businesses in a very low yield, low growth world that were getting revalued higher. I think it's a little bit different than what was happening with Tesla. Yeah. Josh, I, I didn't want to cut you off earlier. Did you want to come back into the conversation here? No, I, I agree with Mike, and I think Stephanie was kind of saying the same thing. This, this is its own world. It's not what, what happened with Apple has nothing to do with what happened with Tesla, even though they both happened to have announced splits this summer and carried them out on the same day. I think the, the story with Tesla and why they didn't get included, I think, again, it's, it's nothing to do with what the market cap was. That's the only reason they were in the conversation. What, what, what the issue might have been is probably something about the way they got to that profitability. Is this a company that makes cars and sells them profitably? Not yet. Like someday they will be, let's, let's all hope. Uh, but that's not how they're getting the, the four quarters worth of, of, Are of there, profits that they got. I think and my belief is that the committee looks at that. Which is why I want our, our committee to look at what else could be out there as a flag of saying... This just doesn't make sense that the stock was up that much. We're not, the S&P is not putting Tesla into its index, and my investment committee is not putting XYZ stock into their index because a lot of these names were just up on uh, rampant multiple expansion alone. The market got ahead of itself. It got carried away, and it's our job now to identify the names that need to come back to earth like Tesla is obviously having its own moment of. So you have five mini Teslas. You have five mini Teslas now in various states of spacking or going public or having just come public. You have the the tortoise shell stock. You have uh, Lucid Motors. You have um, Canoe, which filed. um, Nikola, which I guess is Tesla Jr., so now those are going to be the new battleground for, for conversations like that. 
and these stocks are wild. They make the volatility in Tesla look like a day at the beach. Yeah. Mike Santoli, get the last word, and I'm going to take a break. No, I'm, I'm right with you there. I, I will continue to say Tesla is kind of its own thing, and, uh, and the index conversation, you know, the fact that they punted it means we can talk about, you know, other stuff, and it's not back to where it was August 11th. So keep that in mind how much it was up. Will do. Good stuff. Thanks for being here, Mike Santoli, with us today. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. And we have a bullish call out on Disney. We're going to debate that next, and we're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The top general in the Army says the U.S. only sends soldiers into combat to protect national security interests or as a last resort. This after President Trump suggested that military leaders wanted to fight wars to keep weapons makers happy. U.S. Army Chief of Staff General James McConville declined to respond directly to the president's remarks. The British government is facing pressure to contain new coronavirus outbreaks that are being blamed on young people disregarding social distancing guidelines. Daily new infections rising to nearly 3,000 on Sunday and Monday before dipping to about 2,400 today. And Japan's minister of the Olympics says the rescheduled Tokyo Games must be held at any cost, regardless of the challenges of the pandemic. He says the Games must be held for the sake of the athletes. You are up to date, Scott. That's the news update this hour. Back to you. All right. Appreciate that, Sue. Thank you, Sue Herrera. We have a bullish call, as I said, on Disney today. Got upgraded at Deutsche Bank to buy from hold as they go all in on streaming. That's how the bank characterizes the call. Uh, Surat, you own it. Uh, they take the price target to 163 from 128. Uh, not a big shock, really, I guess, on the uh, thesis behind here of, of streaming as others, including as we have you know, reported on and talked about recently, Dan Loeb citing as well why he is a huge believer in Disney. Right. I mean, Sky, if you look at the stock, it, it dropped down to the high 80s uh, in March. And really, that was because the earnings, there was no, uh, you know, nobody could forecast what was going on. Now you've got the direct-to-consumer business that's really executing and it's doing well. And I think Disney is becoming valued more and more as a content company in terms of what they have in production, what they have in their library. And they've really done well in the execution piece. So what you have to look at is to say the legacy pieces of the business, the media assets, at some point Disney has to do something with that. But if you carve it out and you look to the future, and at some point, as we had talked about before early in the show, with the vaccine hopefully coming ahead, the theme parks earnings will start improving too. So I do agree with this. Uh, the stock's had a good bounce on the back. It's still not back to where it was in February. It's still down about 5% of the year. Uh, I own it. It's, it's a good position. I bought a lot of it in March and April, as you know, and I would keep it and add it to, uh, you know, to any new accounts at these levels. Steph, you sold it in February. I did. Yeah, well, any, any I mean, regrets? I made good money in it. And it, I think it, no. 
No, you know, I mean, I, look, I, I totally believe everything that Serrata's saying, and I think it is definitely a reopen stock, and if you believe in the reopen, you know I do, um, then you certainly can own this stock, and it should do well, because you're looking at tr back to trough earnings, right, right about now. My, my issue with these guys is they have to spend a ton of money on uh, Disney+. Plus. And I also, there's still a lot of concern in terms of what's happening in sports, what that's going to be, um, the parks, I think, you know, you're, you're at minimum capacity. And so I think even if they do, we do reopen and they do see better earnings ahead, I kind of feel like at this valuation, it's already reflecting a lot of good news. And you know me, I have a ton of reopen stocks anyway that I prefer over Disney. I got you. We, uh, we have some other interesting calls today, uh, which are owned by our group. Uh, Rahel Solomon joining us with a few of those. Hey, Rahel. Good to see you. So yes, Verizon getting an upgrade over at Argus. Price target goes to 68. So a few reasons here. Analysts expect consumers to stay put and stick with their current carrier. That should benefit Verizon. Connectivity is obviously more important than ever. That too benefits the company. And they also like Verizon spending nearly $2 billion in a government auction to build out 5G. Uh, worth noting, Scott, the stock has outperformed the market during this recent sell-off. Also, Morgan Stanley initiating coverage on a slew of airlines. So the firm does admit it is more bullish than consensus on airline demand returning to pre-COVID levels. So they expect that to happen in late 2021, early 22. The consensus is 2023-24. They like the low-cost carriers and the ultra-low-cost carriers. And in order of preference, are bullish on Southwest, JetBlue, Delta, and Allegiant all being rated overweight. Alaska Airlines equal weight, and then United gets rated as underweight. So other than United, all of these airlines are showing solid outperformance. Today you can see United is down about 1.2%. And Scott will learn much more about this Morgan Stanley call during Power Lunch when one of the analysts, Ravi Shanker, appears in just a few hours. Scott. I appreciate that, Rahel. You've teed us up well for a conversation quickly about United. Surat, you're trimming it, and you're getting out of it. I am. I I, I am. I'm trimming it on my way out. Uh, I own Delta. I like Delta. To me, that is the blue chip of the airlines. If I'm going to have a reopening story, it's going to be Delta, strong balance sheet, strong management team. And, and I do really like the way that they've uh, proceeded through this. So, you know, I did have a big position in the airlines pre-COVID. I've cut it back. I think going forward, things will be different. But if I'm going to own one, it's going to be Delta. All right. Well, speaking of the airlines, I uh, should tell you, United's Oscar Munoz will be part of a special edition of Halftime Report tomorrow. We're going to discuss a new initiative called the Boardroom Challenge to increase diversity at the highest level of U.S. companies. Other guests, including Altimeter's Brad Gerstner, Merck's Ken Frazier, Zillow's CEO Rich Barton is with us as well. It is tomorrow noon Eastern, a full slate of great guests to carry on an important conversation, by the way, which continues this evening as well on CNBC. You can watch our special program at 7 o'clock Eastern tonight. The path forward, race and opportunity in America. John Fort and Andrew Ross Sorkin taking a closer look at the underrepresentation of black workers and leaders in corporate America. We'll hear ideas and potential solutions as well from some really fantastic guests this evening. Look forward to that. Coming up, we do have unusual activity again with John. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. John's always tracking the options market. As you know, and he's found unusual activity. First in AMD, Doc. First in AMD, Doc. Exactly, Scott. After a 15% correction, this stock was 92 bucks just a little over a week ago, Scott. It has made a huge drop back down to 80 bucks. Then they came in and they sold the 77 puts, Scott. Those are options that expire this Friday, the 11th. And they sold those from $2 all the way down to a buck Um, I sold these puts as well. That's deep end of the pool, though, because A, it's short term, and B, you're obligating yourself to buy the stock if indeed you sell the put. You're doing what Warren Buffett does. So be careful. You need to understand that before you do any trade like that. We appreciate also, it. Also, Scott, I'm in, sure, I'm in the AGNC, which is a REIT. Um, there was upside call buying in this one, Scott. They bought uh, the September 11th 14 calls, and they paid just 15 cents, so a very cheap shot. I joined them in this, and again, another trade that I'll probably be in just a couple days, but this one, your risk is defined on entry because you're only paying 15 cents for these calls. I got you. All right, thanks for that. Double dose of unusual activity. Coming up, we're ready Thank to you, answer sir. your questions amid this sell-off. I bet there are many, and you still have time. To reach us, go to cnbc.com slash halftime or tweet us. We're back. We'll answer them all next. All right. Welcome back. We're answering your questions. First up, Stephanie Link, you're first from Stephan, North Carolina. What are some biotech stocks to consider for my portfolio in the healthcare space? I'm currently holding J&J, Medtronic, and United Healthcare. What else you like? Well, I like AbV, actually. The stock trades at a 30% discount to its peers. They have a great immunology franchise. They have Allergan that they bought last year. So you have synergies, and it also expands their pipelines pretty substantially. So I think with a yield of 5.2%, I think it's a great quality stock for the long term. Josh, you, Mitchell in Minnesota. I'm a new investor. was wondering if I should buy more Barrett Gold or sell. So uh, thanks for the question, Mitchell. I don't really know your personal situation. It makes it very hard to answer, but I'll just tell you what I am personally doing. I own the stock. I'm looking for uh, more opportunities to buy it into the uh, mid-20s. If we see gold pull back further, I think the company's going to have a very profitable couple of years ahead, given how low energy prices are and how elevated both gold and copper have become. That spread in between is where they make money, and I like being alongside Berkshire Hathaway into the investment. All right. Doc J from Govinda in Ireland. What about J.P. Morgan? Is it a buy? 
Govinda, yes, I think of all the U.S. banks, this is one that you absolutely want to buy, especially on dips. I think you can trade them because I think you'll get uh, that up and down, back and forth with interest rates and what people's outlook is as far as when the Fed will move next. That's not the only driver, but it's a significant one, Golinda. So I'd say keep an eye on J.P. Morgan. I'd buy it on dips. Okay. Lastly, Surat, to you, Anthony, North Carolina. Lowe's has not really been moving with the market the last few uh, sessions. Has it peaked, topped out, or is there room to grow? Uh, well, Lowe's is up 30% for the year. If you look at the P.E., it's up at over 20 now. So you not only had earnings expansion, but you have multiple expansion. Uh, I still like the stock. I trimmed it back because it became too large a position. But I think of any type of pullback, this is a company you want to buy. Josh had mentioned, uh, you know, the mortgage numbers. People are spending a lot of money in their homes, and Lowe's is right in the sweet spot. But I, I would just pick a spot when you get a little bit of a pullback. Okay. Thank you all. Oil is near three-month lows, getting smoked right now, more than 7% for WTI. Where does it go from here? The Futures crew will tell you next on The Half. Mr. Show, don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today. Let's do the futures outlook now. Crude oil, as I said, is getting hammered today about fears on demand. Joining us now is Jim Urio of TJM Institutional Services and Bill Baruch, Blue Line Futures. Bill, what's your take first? Well, pure price action was telling you this market was getting exhausted right below that March 6th closing gap. You know, it stayed buoyant, though. Weakness in the U.S. dollar, six straight weeks of, of uh, drawdowns in the inventories, and then uh, hopes that China would continue to increase purchases of U.S. oil from a, a record high in July. But you know what? It was really waiting for a, sh a shoot to drop as the crew did not track equities higher. Uh, over the weekend on Monday, you had news that China uh, uh, had a sharp drop in imports over uh, the over August. So that was a complete uh, fallback on that story. Opens the door for more selling. I'm looking for 35 to be a, a good area to be a buyer. Jim, are we technically in trouble here or what? Yes, and this is so irritating to me. Two weeks ago, when it looked like it was breaking out to the upside and it traded about 43.05 and above that, and that's where I got in. I should have demanded it and followed through right then. It didn't. It traded sideways for a couple of days, giving me ample opportunity to get out. But because of hubris, I donated money to the trading gods. Then it broke out to the downside. That's what the real move was. So the 43 trade was the head bank. But now it trades down. Uh, some April highs and June lows are between like 35.90 and 35.60. 3590 is also the 38.2 uh, retracement. I have a, a, a bid in and an options package if it goes about 50 cents lower than where it is right now to get to get relong because I think 35, I think your risk reward then becomes to the upside. All right. Bill Baruch, Jim Urio, appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Thank you. We'll take a quick break. We'll do final trades on the other side. We are back. I want to do final trades in a moment. Steph, though, all right. Buffett's trimming wells. What do we do now, Stephanie? Yes, he Lane. is. I don't. I don't do much, right? I think the reason he sold some wells and he still owns a position size in it. Um, I think he did it because he wanted to have more room for Bank of America. Remember last month he was buying Bank of America for something like 14 consecutive straight days. So, um, I, look, I know Wells is a turnaround story. Bank of America is a strong execution story. They, they've already gone through the restructuring, right? And I own them both. 
And I own them both for those reasons. I think Charlie Scharf is an excellent CEO for Wells Fargo. He has a new CFO. He has hired six executive team leaders in the past year. So I think he's getting his team in place. You got to get that asset cap removed. We don't know when that's going to be. That's an overhang. But I think it's going to happen at some point. In the meantime, a point six times book, I think it's awfully cheap here. Yeah. Patience are, are going to be required, it sounds like, in this story. Patience. Yeah. All right. That's Let's exactly do, right. Yeah. Let's do final trades. Sarat, you're up first. What do you got, buddy? Uh, XBL Logistics, I think another opening trade. This company's uh, done well right now, but it'll do really well when we open. Okay. Josh Brown? In a housing boom, you want to be long title insurance. I have a new position in STC, uh, Steward Information Services, which is the fourth largest title insurer in America. Uh, be careful the way you buy it. Not a ton of volume. It's a small cap, um, but I'm, I'm in there. Yeah, so you're a big believer still in the, in the housing play. You're still in invitation homes too, right? Yeah. I th look, I think there's just going to be a, a, a generational boom in housing with all the millennials choosing homes versus the city. I don't think a, a vaccine changes that. It's a shift in mindset. And when you have this many homes turning over, that plays directly into companies that supply that. So Home Depot and Lowe's have already been big winners. The next phase is people are going to look at the mortgage companies. They're going to look at title insurance as another opportunity um, to play that. All right, good stuff. Doc J? DocuSign, Scott. I bought it during the show because of upside call activity. Okay. And Stephanie Link? Mm. Yeah, so I sold my Home Depot, took my gains, put it into mm -hmm. McDonald's. That's my final trade. It's only up 8%. You're okay. on trough earnings. They have a great drive-through business and yep. like the management team. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.